Welcome, everybody. I know it's called American View, but uh, we got to celebrate our European neighbors. Or not our European neighbors, excuse We're me. We're not wow. celebrating Europe today, Ben. Fro- Freudian slip there. <laughs> <laughs> our British neighbors. Um... We're celebrating Britain today, aren't we, Alex? And why is that? Yes. Tonight, the UK... Yeah, that's right. ...after 43 year, 47 years, is leaving the European Union. How about that? How about that? Who would have said that five years ago? Now, we've been waiting to say that for, for uh, a, a couple of years time. now, since the referendum, of course. When was the referendum? The referendum was on June 23rd of 2016. Wow. A long time ago. So it's a big day, guys. We have a lot to talk about. On behalf of the entire crew here, I'd like to say welcome to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm Ben Dietrich, along with my colleague... I'm Alex Nestor. Alex Nestor. <laughs> and our producer here, Andrew Nels, in the studio as well. We are so happy to be with you on this Friday. It has been one heck of a week, guys. And... I'm so glad we get to break it down for you. So we're going to talk about it all today. We're going to talk about impeachment. We're going to talk about the fact that for the first time in four years, the United States life expectancy is increasing. Um, That means that also for the first time in several years, I think it's three years, the amount of drug overdose deaths is finally on its way down. There's still a lot of work to be done, but we're going to talk about all of that here on American View. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Make sure that you follow us on Facebook. You can follow us, American View WRFH, uh, to make sure that you stay up to date with all our episodes. We're going to be following all of this, uh, the rest of the impeachment, which we hope, we hope will be over, or at least I hope, later tonight or in the early hours of tomorrow morning. More on that later on in the show. Let's talk about impeachment right now. Before we discuss it, or not, excuse me, impeachment, Brexit, before we discuss it, you got to hear Nigel Farage and... My co-host in the studio here, Alex, <laughs> she actually got to interview him. Yes, I did. So this is going to be pretty ago. cool. A year ago. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about that interview. We're going to talk about it all. First, though, you got to hear Nigel Farage's speech. He was a representative at the EU, the European Union, and he got to leave for the last time um, earlier this week. I believe it was yesterday. You have to hear this. It's great. The European reaction is hilarious. And, you know, it, it just, you know, I know we're not British anymore, but <laughs> I wish I could be British I'm for British for today. We're British for today. Right. I am. All right. For sovereignty, we go to Nigel Farage at the EU Parliament. Thank you very much. So this is it, the final chapter, the end of the road. A 47-year political experiment that the British, frankly, have never been very happy with. My mother and father signed up to... A common market, not to a political union, not to flags, anthems, presidents, and now you even want your own army. For me, it's been 27 years of campaigning and over 20 years here in this parliament. I'm not particularly happy with the agreement we're being asked to vote on tonight, but Boris has been remarkably bold in the last few months. And Ms. von der Leyen, he's made it clear, he's promised us there'll be no level playing field. And on that basis, I wish him every success in the next round of negotiations. I really do. But the most significant point is this. What happens 
at 11pm this Friday, the 31st of January 2020, marks the point of no return. Once we've left, we are never coming back, and the rest, frankly, is detail. We're going, we will be gone. And that should be the summit of my own political ambitions. I walked in here, as I've said before, you all thought it was terribly funny. Uh, you stopped laughing in 2016. But my view has changed of Europe since I, since I joined. In 2005, I saw the Constitution that had been drafted by Giscard and others. I saw it rejected by the French in a referendum. I saw it rejected by the Dutch in a referendum. And I saw you in these institutions ignore them, bring it back as a Lisbon Treaty and boast you could ram it through without there being referendums. Well, the Irish did have a vote and did say no and were forced to vote again. You're very good at making people vote again, but what we've proved is the British are too big to bully, thank goodness. So I became, I became an outright opponent of the entire European project. I want Brexit to start a debate across the rest of Europe. What do we want from Europe? If we want trade, friendship, cooperation, reciprocity, we don't need a European Commission. We don't need a European court. We don't need uh, these institutions and I all love of this, this man. power. And I can promise you, both in UKIP and indeed in the Brexit Party, we love Europe. We just hate the European Union. Yes. It's a simple... Oh, that's yes. a great line. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, we'll continue here in a second, but wow. Um what a way to uh, away with words. Now, you wait till you hear the European reaction to this. The clapping you hear, just for those of you who haven't seen the video, that's the, all the rest of the, e, uh, the British representatives in the EU Parliament behind them. Now, you got to hear what happens. We're going to tell you as it's happening. Um, this, this part is great. Is that. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping this begins the end of this project. It's a bad project. It isn't just undemocratic, it's anti-democratic, and it puts in that front row. It gives people power without accountability. People who cannot be held to account Amen. by the electorate. And that is an unacceptable structure. Indeed, there's an historic battle going on now across the West, in Europe, America, and elsewhere. It is globalism against populism. And you may loathe populism, but I tell you a funny thing, it's becoming very popular. <laughs> and it has great benefits. No more financial contributions. No more European Court of Justice. No more common fisheries policy. No more being talked down to. No more being bullied. No more Guy Verhofstadt. I mean, I mean what's not to like? I know you're going to miss us. I know you want to ban our national flags, but we're going to wave you oh, goodbye. Boy. And we'll look forward in the future to working with you as sovereign. Okay, so you can't hear him his right now. His mic's cut off. He just, they just turned off his mm -hmm. microphone. Now, this is very ironic. I just want to put it out there because the EU notoriously has some very strict hate speech laws. So, of course, they have to shut off the mic of Nigel Farage. How dare he challenge the EU. But uh, what is happening here, in fact, is the entire British delegation is now waving 
British flags. How dare they? And wearing British flag ties. They're wearing British flag ties. And here's, get this, you're not allowed to bring in your nation's flag to the EU parliament. It's, it's, not, it's against the rules. Who came up with that rule? I, I want to know. If you guys find out, tweet at me, Ben underscore D-I-E-T-D. <laughs> Let me know. You'll get, get a free prize. Well, I bet no one voted on it. I bet the <laughs> British people well, didn't vote on that. This is, this is so, government without consent. Yes. yes. Without consent. And now listen to the head of the, the parliament. I don't even know what her title is, but I'll claim ignorance on this one. I'm not ashamed of it. Let's keep going. If you disobey the rules, you get cut off. Could we please remove the flags? <laughs> Mr. Farage. She does not look happy. Flags, please. Well, that all over. Finish. <laughs> Could I please ask for quiet? Hip hip. Hooray. Oh, boy. I'm really... Please sit down, resume your seats, put your flags away, you're leaving, and take them with you if you are leaving now. And oh, boy. Goodbye. Can I just say... And now they're walking out. If I may say... She's trying to talk, just in they don't care. Reference, the word hate was used in the last oh, um, contribution. And I really think, hate. given what we listened to prior to this, that we should not hate anyone oh. or any nation or any people. <laughs> all right, all right. That's the all end right. of that clip. Here's what you got to get. Okay, so, so you heard him. You know, it's kind of like when Donald Trump says, read the transcript, and then the Democrats say something that has nothing to do with what the phone call was actually about. You heard the speech. Did you hear hate in there? Did you hear hate? Because I, I certainly didn't. By the way, you're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. This is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm here, uh, Ben Dietrich, along with my colleague, Alex Nestor. And um, we are loving it. Today is a very <laughs> special day. We're celebrating the fact that Britain has finally left the EU. Or, excuse will, um, depending on what time you hear this show, 11 p.m. Um, European time, Central European time, I believe. So that would mm -hmm. be six hours from our time. That would be 1 p.m. Um, Hillsdale time. Yeah. So uh, as we continue, though, you know, I you got to love it. I just want to break down real quick some of the things that he had to say there. The point that, you know, Nigel Farage made about the fact that, you know, referendum after referendum happened around Europe and the EU just didn't care. I, I don't remember what that was with regards to. Mm-hmm. But the, the overall point is the, the fundamental problem with the European, the EU, is what it's become as a parliament. They don't have a constitution that limits the powers of, of that parliament. And they're not a country. It's supposed <laughs> to be a body of countries like, a, like the UN yeah. coming together. But the EU has unlimited power. Anything they decide in their group that they want to do, they can do. And then whatever member state, which is its own respective nation, has to submit to that authority. The sovereignty of an individual nation doesn't matter. It's, it's kind of interesting because it's like um, it's worse than it, it would be like imagine if America just had the House and not the Senate. So it was all proportionate. So if you were from the state of Wyoming, um, you know, you would constantly get outnumbered. You know, somebody, a friend of mine earlier today with regards to the impeachment said, you know, it's so stupid that like Lisa Murkowski 
gets the same amount of voting power in the Senate as somebody from as the senator from California, Diane Feinstein, because the populations are so different. And the point is, well, you know, states originally would have never joined if if you know they didn't have that body, because that's how you deal with the fact that there are smaller, less populous states, but they still want a say in politics. Because otherwise, what's the point of being in the union in the first place? And, th- and that's what we're seeing happen in the EU right now. Right. And especially when nations like the United Kingdom are um, top in GDP and production for the European Union as a whole. The fact that they have to abide by the same rules and policies as other nations that cannot and do not pull their own weight um, is tragic. It really is. And, you know, I I have to say, I remember... I used to live in Europe, as if you follow the show, you guys know that. I remember being in high school um, months before the referendum. And people talked about this terrible thing that was happening in you. People were scared at my school because a lot of the kids were Europeans. They were Austrians that wanted to go to British colleges because the socialist colleges in Austria suck. That's There's no other way to put it. Really? They do? <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, University of Vienna, where the Austrian School of Economics comes from, they banned that. That's considered fascist oh, liter- literature. That hurts. The, the guys left. The Austrian economists left because they knew the Nazis were going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And yet, because they were, you know, supporting free market ideas. And, and yet today, students are taught that these guys were like bad guys. So anyway, that's aside from the point. I was told... You know, that this was this populist movement that was rising up around the world. It was rooted in a, a racism, a hatred of outsiders. That's what they still, some of these people believe. You heard, the, you heard the EU parliament chairwoman. I mean, she basically said she thinks that this is about, you know, like um, closing your borders and, you know, this, this sort of like uh, xenophobic, xenophobic mm-hmm. tendencies. And it's just not true. They're not listening. If you're going to be a good neighbor, you know, if you're going to get along with anybody, even people from other nations, you got to listen to what they say. Mm-hmm. That's basic grade school etiquette. Okay, so Alex, break us down, though. Um, what does this mean? You know, of course, Nigel Farage said this deal was not exactly what he had hoped. And tell us also a little bit about your own interview with Nigel Farage. All right. So, yes, I suppose uh, we have a good place to start with what she said about uh, hate in the European Union, trying to work against that, because... The European Union was founded as um, a way for Europe to unite, if you will, following World War I and World War II, um, the 20th century that ravaged that uh, continent. And it was a way for these countries to have some free and open trade deals with each other. And that's what it started as. And then, of course, like Farage, me- Farage mentioned, you had the flags and you had the songs and it just it, it grew and grew incredibly undemocratic. So there was a referendum. The, the, EU, the UK had the referendum, Britain, in, on June 23rd of 2016. Uh, nearly half of those who voted to leave the EU on that day said they did so uh, because they want decisions for the EU, for, excuse me, for the UK Uh, to be made within the UK. And they wanted to take back control of their immigration laws. Now, to remind you, the EU um, kind of created and also did not help stop the refugee crisis from 2015 to 2016. 
there were over 100,000, nearly 120,000 refugees that entered European countries, especially those closer to the East, um, closer to the Middle East. And the European Union said that we would, they would take in these refugees and distribute them to different countries. Mm-hmm. Um, only a very small fraction of those refugees were actually relocated to other countries into safety. So the EU, for this woman to be saying that uh, the UK is, is leaving due to hate or for others to be saying that it's due to racism, um, that's, that's pretty hypocritical, I think, if the EU really, really uh, kind of messed up with their, the refugee crisis there. So getting back to the UK's side here, uh, the withdrawal agreement bill that Johnson worked on in, in May worked on. So let's not re- let's not forget uh, in 2016, um, the prime minister was actually David Cameron right. and then Theresa May and Theresa May couldn't get a deal done. So now it was Boris Johnson. And I think that's why Farage, while, you know, he's not entirely uh, pleased with the deal. And, and frankly, there are some issues that need to be worked out very quickly. While he's not pleased with the deal, Johnson got a deal done. He got Brexit done. It took three and a half years. It took at least uh, two elections in the UK, but he got it done. And and I just want to pause you right there. Sure. I I just want to mention, you know, we we didn't get to have a show after the British election Mm -hmm. because we were on break. Landslide victory for conservatives. Landslide. Biggest victory since Margaret Thatcher. Mm -hmm. And now people are saying, you know, that could happen here in America because what happened in the EU, in Britain, was that the the Labour Party was obstructing the vote and will of the people. Sound familiar, guys? <laughs> yes. <Back to> you. <laughs> so the Labour Party is, you know, a very left-leaning party in the UK. Um, so yes, they were. They a lot of these Labour Party individuals were not helping get Brexit passed through Parliament. Um, so yes, we had the election in December of 2019, just over a month ago. Landslide conservative victories. Ben, there were some um, districts, or I should say our equivalent of a district, that hadn't gone conservative since before World War II. Wow. So that's pretty exciting. It, it certainly sounds similar to, to other situations that we've yeah. seen. Yeah, yeah. 2016. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later in the show, guys. American View, right now you're listening to uh, Where Hillsdale Meets the Nation. Ben Dietrich here, Alex Nestor, co-host, talking about Brexit. Um, Alex, you interviewed Nigel Farage at CPAC last year. Yes. What was that like? And what does this all feel like for you? Because for our fans out there, you got to know, you know, Alex <laughs> is crazy about this guy, Nigel Farage. I love I love Nigel Farage. You I know, do. Um, yep. Big fan. And um, uh, yeah, you, you've been crazy about Brexit. So yes. what does this all mean now? So, yeah, last year meeting Nigel Farage was really crazy. It was I was very nervous um, to interview him, as you can probably tell by listening to the recording of it. Very nervous. But he was a great guy to meet. Um, And he he's really the guy who has who started this whole movement. And he started it long before anyone thought it was possible. And really, not many people thought it was possible up until very recently when I spoke with him at CPAC of last year, so the end of February, Theresa May was still the prime minister. We still had a lot more Labour Party representatives in the uh, British Parliament. And, you know, it was it was stalling. There was no deal getting done. And I remember 
uh, kind of thinking that not that it was a lost cause, but it would take years and years to get something done. And now I sit here very excited and surprised. And, you know, I hope uh, Farage will be available at CPAC this year to talk again. I, I hope so, too. Yeah. And again, like I said, the deal isn't we- perfect. So just to mention um, with Northern Ireland, we need to ensure that there's no more conflict because, as you remember, there's conflict a long time ago. Yeah. There. Yes. So. And, and they're staying in the EU. Ireland is. So we'll see what happens. Um, thank you so much, Alex. You know, it, it's been really fascinating watching this all go down. But the people have spoken in England and they're finally getting what they asked for. And sovereignty has been restored to the British island. History, as we know, has always shown that independence for England, for the UK, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to them. And they finally went out. Mm -hmm. I think Winston Churchill would be proud, (laughs) as is a lot of people here at Hillsdale College. Thanks for listening to American View. Ben Dietrich here with Alex Nestor and Andrew Nell, our producer. We'll be back after this short break. This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. Welcome back to American View here on Radio Free Hills, the 101.7 FM. I'm Ben Dietrich, along with my co-host. Alex Nestor. And Andrew Nell is in the studio as well. Good to be with you on this Friday, January 31st. It's the last day of the month. But I got to say, you know, I was talking with Andrew before this, and, and he made the point. He said, Ben, it feels like this month of January has been like three months and he's right <laughs> because the president has gotten so much stuff done. Uh, we have seen basically what could be the end of the impeachment trial. Uh, you know, so much has happened in the world. You know, there's been so much to talk about. We're going to go through impeachment here in just a second. Look, guys, this is a big day. Impeachment could be ending. The president could be acquitted by tonight. We're going to find out more about that as we go on. But before we do that, we were talking about Brexit because that's the other big story. At 1 p.m. our time, that Britain leaves the European Union. Alex Nestor had a couple more points to make. If you missed the first half, make sure you check us out on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, online, American View, WRFH. Alex, tell us <laughs> what we missed. So there's just a couple of points that need to be made um, given this Brexit deal. So the deal is very costly. Uh, the UK still owes um, an estimated $43 billion financial settlement to the bloc. That includes um, some of the yearly dues, including the 2020 yearly dues that the UK has to pay to the bloc. Um, so the UK will still be under the EU's policies until the end of the calendar year, uh, uh, in which that time they have time to negotiate n- a new trade deal with the bloc. Um, but by the end of this year, they're, they're done, you know, hands clean of all, but they're out of the parliament today. Uh, Yes. So they, they've left. So they, uh, which is kind of, you know, one of the parts of the deal is they don't have say in parliament, but they do still have to pay, um, the EU dues and follow the regulations to the end of the year. But it's a necessary transition period, in my opinion. Um, another thing that we have to, 
uh, you know, be aware of is so the UK obviously is not just Britain. You have Scotland and you have Northern Ireland, which are parts of the UK. Uh, the Troubles was an ethnic conflict along the border of Northern Ireland and Britain. Um, and that ended within our lifetime, Ben. That ended in 1998. So we were still Not alive too when, long that ago. Happened, when that was <laughs> happening. Yeah. And peace uh, between those two regions was brokered and it was precedent precedented upon both Ireland and Britain being members of the EU. So you have many people in Northern Ireland who want to rejoin with Ireland, right? And then you have some along that line that right. want them to be British. And that's what, you know, if you're not familiar with European politics, there is a separate, a, di a difference between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Northern mm -hmm. Ireland yes. is part of the UK. It's on the same right. island, yes, yeah. as Britain and then, yes, part of and the UK. And that might change. You know, the thing is, at the end of the day, I mean, I feel like the reasons that they were separate in the first place, obviously, like Scotland, for instance, the U Britain felt threatened by England, specifically felt mm -hmm. threatened by the fact that if Scotland was not under the kingdom, that it could, you know, have some sort of insurrection or have some sort of, uh, you know, war with England. You know, we forget that in World War II, Ireland was very friendly to the Nazis. They they parked their hmm. their U2, uh, you know, they parked their submarines there, mm -hmm. the Nazis did, in Ireland. Mm -hmm. And um, that that's the problem when you have these countries real close to you Britain likes to be an island <laughs> yes. for a reason. Yes. And also, you mentioned Scotland. So Scotland had a referendum in 2014 to remain in, um, in the UK. So they wanted Scottish independence. Right. Um, and that might, again, that was precedented on the UK being part of the right. EU. So we'll see where that goes, guys. But it's been great talking about that. We got to go back to America now. We're traveling back mm -hmm. over. Back across home. the pond. Across back the pond. Back across the pond. And wow, what a week it has been. So if you remember on Monday, if you guys follow this show, I talked to you guys. And that was just at the time in which the John Bolton story had broke. And I warned you, not going to say I didn't warn you. I said, hey, this is going to change everything in terms of this impeachment trial. Because before John Bolton and his book was leaked, uh, before that happened, what what uh, what we saw happen was we, it looked like witnesses were not going to be called. And then, of course, the 11th hour leak happened. Uh, testimony Parts of John Bolton's book were leaked out from either the National Security Council or more likely from, you know, um, the book team itself, probably the agent who also published James Comey's book. But we don't really know what happened. But the point is it seems shockingly similar to what happened during the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation. We saw the... Uh, you know, information coming out at the last minute that would change everything in favor of the Democrats. Very well-timed if you are in the Democratic Party. But they did this last time. We've seen this so, you know, it, it happened so recently that it's, it's, it's pretty hard to forget what happened. And for the Republican moderate senators to forget what happened, to forget how they were manipulated to, you know, um, make themselves seem fair. And earlier this week, it seemed like there was no way that they had the votes to not have uh, the witnesses testify, which is, in essence, John Bolton. Since then, things have calmed down. The mood on the Hill, as we can see it, has been moving towards the fact that Republicans who were once confident that there would be no witnesses by Saturday, you know, after Sunday, they lost that confidence, and it's slowly growing back. This is a pattern. I just want to say this. It's a pattern very similar to the way President Trump's approval rating works. Okay? Some bad information comes out, 
usually <laughs> it's been authorized by the Democratic Party. And they're thinking, oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be what, you know, makes them sink. This is going to destroy Donald Trump. His approval rating or, you know, the votes of the senators, the senators, you know, get suspect. They are worried, you know, that they're not going to vote in favor of something that is important. And then slowly when all the facts come out after the hysteria breaks loose and people start to be reasonable, then it becomes clear, okay, this is not what we thought this was. So, so you know, Bolton's book changed what has happened in impeachment because of the fact that it basically makes clear that if if what Bolton said was true, which a lot of senators are willing to bet, it means that there what the quid pro quo did have to do with both Trump's um, that, that that Trump was holding the money up because of the fact that Hunter Biden should be investigated by the Ukrainians. Now the problem, and this is a big mistake on the Democrat part, the big mistake. What, or excuse me, not the Democrat part, the Republican part. The Republican council made a mistake. The president's team made the mistake because what they did was that they argued that there was no quid pro quo to start with, that it, there, there was no real relation. The money was not held up because of Hunter Biden. And I, and I honestly think that was a mistake because personally, even myself, I, and I said this on the show, it's not a secret I said, you know, it doesn't matter if he did or not. It's not impeachable. That should have been the argument from the beginning. But because they had no evidence, the Democrats' case up to this point was so weak. They had no evidence that even he had tied the aid to, to, to Hunter Biden because they got the aid in the end. You know, nothing really came of it. Um, you know, they didn't make that case. And that was a mistake. They didn't, of course, they couldn't have known what was going to come out since then. They probably made the decision to, to argue their case after the House had finished all their investigations. They hadn't subpoenaed Biden, uh, Bolton. And quite honestly, you know, I just want to point out something, guys. Suzanne Collins, she's a senator from Maine. She asked the question earlier this week during the questioning. She said, why did you not subpoena John Bolton? My answer is this. I'm willing to bet money that, you know, Nancy Pelosi knew about this John Bolton thing. Because, because, look, we already know Adam Schiff knew about the whistleblower. They waited for the convenient time. Now, some stuff has happened about that since then, but, but you know, we're going to get to the, to the, uh, the witnesses um, in just a second. I just want to point out to you um, with regard to what has happened recently with, with Rand Paul, uh, you know, Rand Paul today in his questions has made the point about this whistleblower, and this goes back to the shift thing. Um, Rand Paul has made the point that uh, he asked a question today. He asked whether or not the whistleblower uh, had coordinated for a long time to impeach Donald Trump. And the Supreme Court Chief Justice Roberts would not take his question. Here's Rand Paul explaining why he should have. In a proceeding, I think it's very important whether or not a group of Democratic activists, part of the Obama-Biden administration, were working together for years looking for an opportunity to impeach the president. With that, I'll take a few questions. All right. So the guy who's the whistleblower, what you need to know is how this thing all started was with a whistleblower who whistleblowed about this call and told Adam Schiff 
and then it went through the official chains of command because if it would have gone straight if it would have gone straight to Adam Schiff it would have been you know against the rules um, and it would have never you know made the light of day this guy we're pretty sure his name is Eric Ciramella he's a CIA operative he's a CIA operative and um, he has been in the White House since the Biden time and and and, or, and the Obama time and the reason I say Biden is because a photo has come up just tonight, or excuse me, last night. And this photo depicts Ciramella sitting next to Joe Biden in a room in the White House, uh, in the pr- vice president's office in the Eisenhower executive office building. And in this uh, photo, he's actually meeting with Ukrainian officials, ironically, um, which suggests that he could have even had, you know, part- participated in the wrongful acts that possibly Biden and Hunter Biden, his son, committed um, with regards to the corruption. But it also reminds us that this guy, Sir Mola, had political motivations. And according to stories earlier this week, um, which we talked about on the show, there's a good chance that Sir Mola, uh, or it sounds as though, according to reports, Sir Mola has been plotting since Trump came into power to find a way to impeach him, and they've been looking for the right evidence to do so. This is a big deal. Rand Paul asked a question about it. Justice Roberts did not want that question to come to the floor, most likely because he thought he was going to give up the name of the whistleblower. But we'll see um, where that goes. So I just wanted to inform you on all of that. I don't think much will come of it in the next day or so. Um, but what we're going to discuss now with the rest of the American View crew, crew, we're here, you know, this is Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. You're listening to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm here with Alex Nestor, our co-host, and Andrew Nail, our producer. We're going to go through all of us now, and I want to ask everybody what they think. You know, it, are witnesses going to be called today at, you know, after 1 p.m.? And... Um, they're going to have some closing arguments. Then they're going to they're going to vote on whether or not they should call additional witnesses, which would be John Bolton. And um, should they be called? Two different questions. So to make you guys all understand what this means is today at 1 p.m., the Senate is going to reconvene. They're going to have about four hours of closing arguments. At the end of those four hours, they are going to vote on whether or not they should have uh, whistle or excuse me, they should have additional witnesses. If they vote to add to have additional witnesses, that means this trial will continue into next week, possibly beyond that. If they say no, which was the predominant thought on Saturday and until John Bolton's book revelations came out, that's what we thought was going to happen. And now it's seeming more and more likely, I would argue that they're going to say no. Um, once again, after, you know, there's a short time of doubt. Um, if they say no to the witnesses, Donald Trump could be acquitted by late Friday night tonight or early Saturday morning. So um, we'll go through the crew. Uh, Andrew, our producer here, he's been doing a great job behind the board. What do you think? Yeah, Ben. So obviously I might have a different uh, opinion than you, than you have, but I really think that the Republicans would be prudent in calling a witness, specifically John Bolton, as well as Hunter Biden, uh, to the Senate floor to testify. I think that um, if they if they don't end up calling him, that it could end up being, you know, a, a question in the back of everyone's mind. Like, what did John Bolton know? However, I do agree that John Bolton really doesn't have anything to extra to say about President Trump and his de- negotiations with 
Russia or Ukraine. Um, however, I do think that if they don't call him, there'll always be that question in their minds, you know, why didn't they call him? What did he know that, 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 was st- that could have in, uh, indicted Trump? That kind of thing. Um, so, so, so you think their case would be stronger if once they acquit him to, to say to the American people, we did the right thing? Yes, absolutely. But that also involves extending this hearing in the Senate for another week or two, which also I, I understand how that could hurt Trump in the long run. But this, this like over the shadowing that this that this could cover Trump could be a, a pretty bad thing. See, and, and see, my thing is just I, I think the longer this goes on, the worse it gets. You know, I think that if I, I don't honestly think it's a good idea to bring Hunter Biden and Joe Biden to Trump's impeachment. I think that they make look, the Republicans are right. These guys did bad stuff, or at least they might have done bad stuff. We should know what happened. But Trump's impeachment is not the time to discuss that. And while they want to bring it in, because, look, this whole thing, I think, is a waste of time. I don't think the president was wrong to have said, you guys should see what happened with Hunter Biden. We're pretty sure, you know, you were looking into criminal activity until we told you not to. We want to know why. That's, you know, the big thing tonight, the ultimate point that is being made, um, the question that everybody's asking themselves is, can a president have both a political interest in a foreign policy and the interest of the nation. Can you have the same thing? And and I would argue, you know, um, if the interest is valid, your political interest is probably going to be the same as the interest of the nation. That makes you a good statesman if they're aligned. Because, you know, let let me give you a simpler example. You know, um, it's in your political interest to get reelected just if you were, you know, uh, FDR to... Uh, I was going to say fight the Nazis. Uh, but, you know, the point is, if that was in his political interest and he was also fighting the Nazis, it would be a good thing. Um, if, a, if a thing is actually good, it should be, those two interests should align is the bottom line. Yeah, I'm just going to end with the fact that I think I have full confidence in Mitch McConnell. I think he's going to do the right thing. He's proven himself again and again during Trump's presidency as a as an expert negotiator and always choosing the right path. So I guess I will end with never doubt cocaine Mitch. <laughs> he is. He ate. Mitch deserves a shout out. Um, we, uh, you know, we've been fortunate enough to have him here at the college. He's received an honorary degree of Hillsdale college. So as an honorary alumnus, I say from one future <laughs> alumnus to another, um, good job, Mitch. You've done a great job. Alex, what do you think? All right. Not um, on Mitch on. Yeah. I mean, Mitch McConnelly's all right. Uh, in one hand all right come on yeah well okay when it comes to impeachment in one hand I just want to say no and get it over with because he's not going to be removed from office there's no way that two-thirds majority will vote in favor of removing him on the other hand it would be interesting to have Joe Biden perhaps well Hunter Biden perhaps Joe Biden whomever uh, you know kind of have to go up there and, and talk a little bit. I think that would be quite interesting. Um, but in general, I just want to get this. Like, let's just get the show on the road. Let's go. You know, we're done. I've seen what I want to see. Yeah. So we will we will see what happens. Um, you know, I'm willing to bet that there will be, you know, the, the, I think it'll be very close. I think it'll be within... One vote or so. Obviously, um, Suzanne Collins said late last night at around 
11 p.m. that she would be voting for new witnesses. But I'm willing to bet that there will not be enough centers to make that happen. But that, that could be very close. So we will we will mm -hmm. see. We will see. But there there is still a chance. Um, and so, you know, I want to move on a little bit and just say, meanwhile, as all of this impeachment stuff has been happening, the president has been doing a lot. And wow, I mean, first, this, you know, to say this month has felt like three months <laughs> yeah. is so true because when you look at what's been happening, you know, just this week, USMCA signed, done, delivered, uh, China trade deal, you know, uh, signed by President Trump. It will go, of course, to the Senate and House, likely to pass. Um, that happened a couple of weeks ago. Uh, also this week, you know, he offers a completely different approach to how to deal with the Israel-Palestine conflict, a peace agreement that has the support of not just Netanyahu, but also his rival, uh, Benjamin, I, I don't know his name off the top of my head. That's okay. I'm, I, I'm not an expert on Israeli politics, but uh, his rival, Netanyahu's rival, also um, is supporting this. And several uh, Mideast countries, such as Saudi Arabia and Turkey, have expressed his support as well. So that's that's interesting to see what's happening. And what he's basically done is just said he's recognized, look, Israel's the big kid in the room. They're the democracy. And um, I'm not going to pretend like I'm neutral. I'm going to be honest in the fact that I, um, you know, Israel is our ally. And for good reasons. This is the agreement we're offering you, and we're willing to help the Palestinian people, but we are not going to help Hamas, a terrorist-sponsoring mm -hmm. organization. It's a terrorist organization. Exactly. It is. So he's done that, um, and, and so, you know, we've also seen, um, in addition to USMCA, just today, just today, there are poll, there are not a poll, excuse me, Politico and others talked about the fact that U.S. life expectancy is finally increasing. Did Trump do that? Trump did that? I would that? say yes. He, <laughs> this was posted. A lot of people were joking at this on Twitter. Is, is there anything this man cannot do? Yeah. And, and the point is yes, because, and here's why. I would say he deserves credit. He deserves credit because the reason this, this is dropping is specifically because fatal drug overdoses for the first time in 30 years, folks. 30 years. Fatal drug overdoses are dropping. The Trump administration was the administration, the first person in the, in, the, in the national political arena to make the opioid drug crisis, you know, something that had to be dealt with on a national level. And I and I remember when I was there, even Kellyanne Conway is very passionate about this mm -hmm. because Americans from all walks of life have felt the pains of what this crisis has done to our country. And finally, we're seeing, you know, at least some progress. You know, every year in the last couple of years, more Americans have died uh, in the drug from drug overdose than in the entire Vietnam War. So the fact that we're finally reversing those statistics is something to be celebrated. There's still a lot of work to be done. But uh, hey, by the end of today, who knows? This could be a different debate we're having, Alex. President Trump could be acquitted by 1 a.m. Yeah, that's right. So we'll see what happens, guys. Follow us on Facebook, American View, WRFH. This has been... American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. I'm Ben Dietrich, and along with my colleagues, Alex Nestor and Andrew Nell, I'd like to wish you all a great day and a great weekend. We'll be back with you on Monday. This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM.